0: I don't know if you're anything like me, um, but I hate problems. Um, specifically, when I come uh, um, and I'm faced with a problem, I instantly want a solution. How many of you men in here ever fail sometimes when your wife comes to a problem and she really just wants you to listen, but instead of actually listening, you're like, hey, listen, babe, this is what you need. You need to do this, this, and this. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I also am that kind of guy, um, when I am setting something up, I hate to read instructions. Anybody in here, like, you just hate reading instructions? Like, when we go Christmas shopping for the kids and I see an item on the shelf that says no assembly required, I'm like, that is my kind of toy, right? <laughs> there, that is the kind of toy that I want to put together. But my failure to read the instructions oftentimes ends up being very disastrous, right? Right? I usually, um, I'm starting to put together this bike and I'm getting it together. I'm like, instructions? Who needs instructions? Like, look at this. I got the frame together. I've got it all. I got the tire on backwards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you put it all together and then you get the tire on backwards. But then you're like determined. You're like, I'm not taking it off. Anybody, any dads in I'm talking you're like, I'm not taking it off. I will force this piece to fit. And then your wife is like, babe, he's going to fall off his bike. No, it will work. I'm telling you, I will weld this piece on. We will rearrange this tire. We will make this work. And then about 30 minutes later, after trying to configure this bike together, what ends up happening? You end up taking the whole thing apart again, and finally, after you have made a mess of trying to build this thing, you finally grab the instructions. Anybody, like humbly, like when your wife's not watching, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing, I just figured it out, you know? (laughs) So you finally grab the instructions, and you finally kind of read exactly how the tire needs to go on, how it should fit, and it just seemed to work. Now, I illustrate this because I think a lot of us, when it comes to change, this is where we're at in our life. We think, okay, I need change, but I don't really... Um, I still want to kind of be Lord of my life. I still kind of want to be God of my life. And I know Jesus can help me. But you know what? I still kind of want to figure it out on my own. Because if I completely surrender to God, then that means I have to completely surrender everything. And then my life is not completely my own. And then we end up looking like me when we're trying to put something together. And we end up making a bigger mess than we ought to. And so really what I want to talk about today is if we want true change, um, it's going to cost you something. At the end of the day, if you really want the change that you're seeking, whatever in whatever aspect of your life, if you're looking for genuine change in something, you have to realize that it's going to cost you something. And change oftentimes um, is a very slow process. And the reason that I illustrated, you know, assembling the bike in the beginning is the reason that I don't like reading the instructions in the beginning is because it just takes too long, right? I just want to open up the pieces, and I want to just put it together. And I think oftentimes the reason that many of us don't have change is because we're just extremely impatient. How many of you guys, like, you got a case of impatience sometimes? So, so maybe you're just frustrated with a certain aspect of your life and you're saying, God, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm kind of struggling here and I would really like you to help me out. And uh, since you're not really, you know, working fast enough, I think I'm just going to go ahead and take matters into my own hands. And then what ends up happening? We end up making a bigger mess of our lives rather than just being patient and waiting on God. So today... I want to talk about change, but I want you to get one thing in your head before we move any further. Genuine change is going to cost you something. And it's not a very popular theme that we talk about in churches anymore or in Christianity that it's actually going to cost you something. It's going to cost sacrifice. If you want change, the change that you actually crave, if you're in your marriage right now and it's not working out and things are going badly, it's going to cost you something. Men, you're probably going to have to die to yourself. It's going to cost you something. There's a parable, not a parable, a story in Luke chapter 5, um, verse 12 through 13. And it says this. One day in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, I love this. He says, if you want to, you can cleanse me. If you want to, you can cleanse me. Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, and I love his response, I want to. Be clean. Then in there, his skin was smooth and the leprosy was gone. Now, here's the thing. I think many of us come today with a similar attitude as that leper. God, if you want to change me, you can, but you're just absolutely not too sure that he's actually going to. And I love Jesus' response. Do I want to change you? Of course I want to heal you. And so here's, here's where I think many of us are at today. We believe that God offers change. We believe that God offers healing. We believe that God offers all of that. We just don't believe that he actually offers it to us. So we believe that God still works miracles. We believe that God still does the miraculous. We believe that God still heals. We believe that God still you know, rearranges people's lives and puts them on the straight path. We just don't believe that he actually does it for us. How many of have ever sat back and you've watched maybe a, a friend or a family member and you feel like God's just blessing them and, and you're sitting back going, man, that's great, but he just never does that to me. If we're brutally honest, how many have ever felt that way? few of you. Many of us. I think many of us are there today. And I want you to believe this. I told our people at prayer this week, I said, God's really just done a mind shift in me. And I think for 2017, for me, like, I really want to believe what the scriptures actually teach. That God still heals people. Like that God actually changes and radically changes people's lives. So I want you, before we can move on, I want you to get that in your head. That today, like right now, before you leave these doors, whatever you're dealing with, whether it's a broken marriage, whether it's a child that you haven't seen in a long time, whether it's a a horrible job, whether it's just a bad situation, God wants to come in and heal that situation for you. He's not just looking at somebody else and saying, I want to heal them, but I've completely forgotten about you. I think sometimes we come in and we feel isolated, right? We feel like, man, I feel like God's working and moving and doing things in everybody else's life. I just feel like maybe he has forgotten me. And if I can tell you anything today, I want to stand up here and say that God has not forgotten you. That just like this story of the leper, when he says, God, man, if you, if you want to heal me, I mean, I, I guess you can. I'd appreciate it if you did. And I love God's, if I want to, of course I want to heal you. Of course, I want to change you. So today I have one goal. I don't have three points. I don't have four points. I don't have five points. My main goal is this. I want you to believe that Jesus actually desires to change your life. He actually desires to transform your life from the inside out, like old habits that you've been dealing with, all the things that you've been dealing with in 2016. If you completely surrender your life to him, he really genuinely wants to change things. I believe that 2017 could be a year that marriages are restored. That sons and daughters that maybe have just gone astray, and maybe you're a mom today in here and you're praying for your teenager who's just gone off. And you're worried about them, you go to bed every night and you don't know if they're going to live through the next day. I genuinely believe that 2017 is the year that God is going to bring prodigals home, that marriages are going to be restored, and people's lives are genuinely going to be changed. How many of you guys believe that with me? This now, let's be honest. The reason true life change has not happened yet for many of us is because we've settled for false change over costly change. Now, I want to kind of um, define that for the rest of the sermon. So let me explain what false change is, and let me explain what costly change is. So this is what false change is. False change presents the illusion of change, but the effects of change are only temporary. Okay? So here's, here's what I mean by this. You want the benefits of following Jesus without paying the price to follow Jesus. You want the benefits of following Jesus. Like, man, I want to follow Jesus, God. I want the joy. I want the peace. I want the blessings. I want all that kind of stuff. But man, giving up of my life and my wants and the things I don't want to do. No, I'm not in for that. I'm not up for that. So let me give you a few ways this, this plays out. And I'm just going to be honest with you. The, the, this next half of the sermon, is just, it's, I'm going to be very direct. Okay? I love you. I'm just going to say that up front. But from here on out, I'm just going to be very direct. Okay? So false change is this you amen the sermons in scripture, but your Mondays never change. So here's what this means. You come in church and we get all excited. The worship band is up here. You're like, yes, I just love Jesus. And then Monday comes around and nothing changes. So you feel, you feel the presence of God on a Sunday morning. You feel it, you encounter it, you somewhat experience it. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's all about you. So rather than, we talked about this last week, if we could learn that we could come to a place where we rest in Christ and we sit in silence and we allow God to speak to us, we allow God to do things in us, then what does it do? It affects the rest of the week. Because here's the goal. Everything that we talk about on Sunday, everything that we learn, everything that we do, when we encounter Jesus, it should affect the rest of our week, the way that we treat people, The way that we talk to people, the way that we love our husbands, the way that we love our wives, it should affect absolutely everything else. False change is also this. You're convicted by the Holy Spirit on a Sunday morning, but it's just not enough for you to actually do something. So let me tell you the primary reason most of us have a hard time hearing from God. It's because God has spoken to us over and over and over again And we've just ignored him and ignored him and pushed him off and pushed him off To finally he gets to the place where he's like, okay, you're not hearing me anymore, so he goes silent. Because the truth is he's spoken to us maybe through a sermon, maybe through worship, maybe through a message, maybe through a friend, whatever it is. And here's the truth. We know that to change something in our lives is going to cost us something. Sometimes it costs us our pride, right? We've got to be vulnerable in front of somebody else. Or maybe we've got to say something that we're not that comfortable with. Or maybe false changes could be presented like this. You're willing to surrender pieces of your life, just not all of it. So this reminds me of a story I was reading a few months ago. Um, There was an ancient baptism practice by the Knights of Templar. And the church had actually... um, they used the knights back then so they had basically said okay when we baptize you when you give your life to Jesus they would baptize them fully in their armor and they would the knights would hold their swords and when they would completely go under the water they would hold their sword out of the water when they would get baptized now it's kind of funny it's kind of crazy but it symbolized this god you can have all of me except for my sword Meaning this, God, whatever I do on the battlefield, whenever I judge somebody, I'm not asking you for, I'm not asking you for advice. I'm, I'm taking that into my own hands. So I give you everything, but I'm just not giving you the sword. Because when I see fit to use it, when my in-laws frustrate me, you know what I mean? That was a joke. But. So when they went under the water, it was a, literally a declaration of saying, God, I give you every piece of me except this. So I've titled this message this morning, What is your sword? Because this is the very reason that we don't encounter genuine change. The reason that we don't encounter genuine change is because when we give our lives to Jesus, we say, God, you can have everything but this. (laughs) God, you can have all of me except for this. And so this is the main question that I want to pose to you this morning. What is your sword? What is the one thing That you are telling God right now, you can have every piece of me, but you cannot have this. And whatever that is, that is the very reason real change is not happening in your life right now. And the only way that we're going to experience true and genuine change is by when we we completely give our lives to Jesus, that we go with everything. The embarrassing parts of our life, the parts that we don't like about our life, the insecure parts about our life, we go with everything everything see costly change is the change that we all must long for because it's the only type of change that will last see false change what it does is it's kind of behavior modification rather than heart transformation so meaning this behavior behavior modification is like putting a band-aid on a wound that obviously needs stitches so here's what it is you put a band-aid on a cut that is extremely deep temporarily, maybe you stop the bleeding. It looks like, okay, I've fixed the problem, but what happens? An infection sets in, things begin to happen, and now you've created a bigger problem than it was in the first place, right? It may temporarily stop the bleeding, but in reality, it creates a bigger problem. See, if you don't allow God to change your heart, you will always have a problem. So here's what God's after. He's after your heart, He's after grabbing every piece of you in your life and saying, listen, if you really want genuine change, then it's going to cost you something. Now, let me give you a definition of what costly change is. Costly change confronts your deepest fears, but compels you to act regardless of the outcome. So it confronts your deepest insecurities like you realize, okay, if I'm going to give everything to Jesus, you come face to face with what it's going to cost you but then you're so convinced that Jesus is so good and he's so gracious and he's so loving, it doesn't matter at this point anymore. I'll pay whatever price I need to, whatever insecurity that I have to face, whatever fears that I have to go through, whatever friends I have to lose, I'm willing to do it. If you're not, listen to me, if you're not willing to sacrifice, you're not ready to change. If you're not willing to sacrifice, then you're not willing to change. And here's the thing, I know many of us, including myself, we sit in here today, and we're asking, we're begging, and we're pleading God to change certain aspects of our life. We're asking God, God, heal my marriage. God, what, my job, whatever it may be. And I want you to know that whatever it is that you're asking and pleading God to change, that ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to cost you something. See, the rich young ruler is a prime example of not accepting costly change. Let me read it to you. There's a story um, in the Bible that Jesus tells in Mark 10, verse 17 through 22, and it's this. It says, As he went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not cheat. Honor your father and mother. And he said, teacher, from my youth, I have kept them all. So I want you to pause there for a moment. He's saying, God, I've I've done all the commandments. I have followed all the rules. I've done all the good things. What he's saying is, I went to church since I was five years old. I heard all the Bible stories. I grew up in church. I have followed them to the T. He says, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. I want you to notice something in this verse. He was called by Jesus and turned him down because he was not willing to let go. Like Jesus actually said, hey, come follow me. And he said, okay, I'm ready to do that. But here's here's the cost. Here's the price that you're going to have to pay. If you want change, it's going to cost you something. And here's the truth. Oftentimes, it's going to cost you something that you don't really want to pay. It may cost you friends. It may cost you possessions. It may cost you comfort. I find oftentimes it costs you status in the eyes of other people. Like oftentimes, like now you've got to answer for like, so you're like doing this Jesus thing now. Like what's that, what's that all about? See, now I want you to, I want you to notice something. Now, is Jesus asking the rich young ruler to give up his possessions so that now he can live a life of misery? Is he saying, hey, I need you to pay a cost. I need you to count the cost here just so you can be miserable, so you can have no possessions? Of course not. He calls him to leave behind his earthly joys because he wants to give him a greater joy, which is eternal joy. See, every time Jesus calls you to give up something, it's only because he has something greater for you. So listen, when when God is asking us to to pay a cost for something, He's saying, listen, if you want genuine change, this is what it's going to cost you. In that moment, it it may hurt. In that moment, you may feel pain. In that moment, it may feel like this is the last thing that I should be doing. But on the other side, Jesus realizes, listen, if you give up this now, I have a greater joy than you've ever experienced. I have a greater joy than any of those possessions could ever experience. Give you, I can give you peace. I can give you eternal life. The best way that I can explain what I'm talking about is to talk about my fourth son, Peter. Now, um, all we have five children, and uh, all of them have responded differently when we take them to doctor's visits. Any any parents know what it's like to bring like a two year old to the doctor? Um, So we've gotten to the point now where my wife is just like, "Listen, you're taking Peter to the doctor." So I take Peter to the doctor. Now, when we're in the car, it literally starts in the car. I'm like, Peter, listen, when we get to the doctor, don't bite anybody. (laughs) Don't hit anybody. Don't scream at anybody. And I said, listen, buddy, if you do all this, you can have a sucker. Okay, all right, all right. So as soon as we walk into the doctor's office, we sit in the waiting room, and I'm like, it's like clockwork. I'm reminding him again. Do you want a sucker? Yes, I want three. You can have four if you don't bite anybody. <laughs> if you are on your best behavior, you can get a sucker. So I'm reminding him this whole time, like, listen, this doctor is probably going to give you a shot. You're going to have to endure pain. He's probably going to, you know, probe your ears and stick a thing down your throat. And you're going to not like it. But if you do all this without biting anybody, you can have a sucker. Right? And so, without fail, every single time the doctor comes in the room, I'm always like, I'm, I'm always like sitting right behind, right, right by him, ready to like disarm anything that he's about to do, right? And the doctor will say, Hey, let me check in your ears. He's like, no. <laughs> open your mouth. No. And I'm like, Do you want a sucker? He's like, Yeah. <laughs> He'll immediately open his mouth. He'll immediately lend his ear. And all I have to remind him in that moment is, If you endure the pain, you get a prize. If you endure the doctor probing your ear, which is not that bad, son, you can have a sucker. If you endure the shot, you get a sucker. If you don't bite the doctor, you get a sucker. Now, why do I do this? Do I do it because I am a parent that uses bribery? Yes, I am. Um, But at the end of the day, I am reminding him If you endure the pain, you get a prize. If you endure the pain, you get a sucker. And how silly that illustration may sound, I find that most of us are exactly like that. And here's what God's trying to do. When he's trying to come in and he's trying to transform your life and give you the change that you desire, he doesn't usually just come in and say, oh, marriage fixed. He presents you with opportunities to work your stuff out so you can change. So he says, listen, if you can endure the pain, if you can work through this, and man, if you can get involved in community and allow other people to help you through this stuff, I have a greater prize for you than the pain that you're dealing with. And I think we have to constantly remind ourselves of this. Because if we're honest with ourselves as human beings, all we can think about sometimes is the pain that we're enduring. And we ask God the question, Why? And to be honest with you, sometimes God allows us to go through things because he has a greater joy for us once we get through that thing. Once you get out of the pain, once you get out of dealing with whatever it is, God has a greater joy. Every single time Jesus calls us to count the cost, it is for a greater joy. In Luke 14, 25 through 27, it says this. One day... When large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Now, what is he saying in this passage? I think this, this passage is misinterpreted a lot of times. Is he saying, like, you know, once you follow Jesus, that you disown your mother, you disown your brother? You didn't know. that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying, though, is he understands how much you love your family. And he's saying, listen, if there is anything above Christ, anything above me, then you're not going to get the change that you desire. If, if I don't have full devotion from you, and you cannot be my disciple. You're not called to follow me. And here's what I, th- I find a lot of times. And, and I've, I've done it myself as well. We love talking about the grace of God. we do. And it is marvelous. It is great. It is scandalous. The grace of God totally comes in at our weakest moments. And God reaches down in the clutches of our own sin. And he says, listen, I want you. I save you regardless of what you've done. But you also have to realize if we genuinely want the fullness of Christ there is a cost associated with that. I was talking to my dad this morning and we were talking through um, what we were both preaching on and if you're a pastor every time you call my dad calls every single morning and I think every single time you know we're on the phone like he's preaching to me half of his sermon and I'm preaching to him half of mine it's just something we do. And so we're talking about this costly change and begin to dawn on me that the only thing that Jesus ever promised his disciples was suffering. It's crazy. The only thing is that if you're going to follow me, you're going to do some great things. You're going to see some amazing things. You're going to experience some high highs and some joys that not many people get to experience. But you'll also lose your life. You'll also lose your life. There's a book that recently came out, about two years ago, um, that I finished reading, and it's by a man named Nabel, and he was a Muslim, and uh, he got converted to Christianity, actually through reading um, some of the Muslim teachings, and he was actually reading the Quran and came to Christianity through uh, reading the Quran and through actually a friend in college, but the book is about, said, the title is uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And um, what's crazy about it, in the whole story, and the whole, what the whole book is basically about, is once he gets converted to Christianity, he realizes, man, I've, I've found the truth. I've found what my soul has been longing for, been looking for, been desiring all along. But then he comes face to face with the reality of the hardest thing that most Muslims have whenever they convert to Christianity is telling their parents. Because usually right when they tell their parents, from that day on, their parents never speak to them again. They're completely disowned. And he said, I remember the day that I went to my dad and I said, Dad, um, actually he didn't get to tell him. His dad came in, they, came, they flew into the States for, at the time and... Um, They went into his apartment early and they saw a Bible on his computer. He was researching different things and they basically knew what happened. So he said he came back into his apartment and the tension was really, really thick. He knew something was off. And uh, he said, my dad mentioned a few lines to me and he said, son, I've seen that you've found Jesus and I just want you to know it feels like you've taken my spine from me. Don't ever talk to me again. And, And here's the thing. I know that's an extreme version, right? It's an extreme version, but the thing that I love about it now, if you, if you look at this man's life, um, I mean, he's gone on to, I don't know if, if you've heard of RZM, which is Ravi Zacharias, which is just a huge apologetics ministry all over the world. He works for Ravi Zacharias now. He's preaching the gospel everywhere, doing incredible things for Jesus, and hasn't spoken to his parents in 15 years. So, so here's what I'm saying, though, and I feel like sometimes as Americans, we need to hear things that extreme. Because for us in our culture, we get so used to just not paying the cost for anything. Like, we just want to come in. I just want to do my Jesus thing on Sunday. I just want to live for God. I just want to have peace in my marriage. And that's it. That's all we want. And the truth is, if you want the fullness of Jesus, you're going to have to pay something. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to give up things. There are things that you're going to have to do that may not seem comfortable, it may not seem enjoyable. But you'll never experience the change that you crave if you're not fully devoted to Jesus. See, we can look at um, certain people within human history and say, man, they did some incredible things. Like tomorrow, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. I mean, everybody knows Martin Luther King to be an amazing man who did amazing things for the civil rights movement and spent his life trying to build bridges, right? Right? But he also writes and, and many times, like, in what I'm doing, is it making a difference? Or in what I'm doing, is it worth the, the cost of my family constantly being in danger? You know, for about six to seven years, every single night he went to bed not knowing if he was gonna wake up in the morning. Could you imagine that? Constantly being hunted. He had to I think he moved I think like twenty times just to constantly stay safe bricks thrown through his window, all kinds of things happening. And this is a man who, who eventually, I mean, it did, it did. What he did cost him his life. What cost him his life. At the end of the day, he realized, hey, the purpose and the thing that I'm attached to and what I'm doing, what I'm driving for is so much more. And I get fulfillment out of that. Then we look at Jesus, right? The one that we celebrate Every Sunday, the one that we should be celebrating every day of the week, the one that we celebrate on Easter, who went to the cross, died for our sins, and resurrected on the third day. For us to attain freedom, it cost him something. It cost him his life. When it says in the scriptures that if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to learn to carry our cross, what it's simply meaning is this, you have to learn to die to yourself. You have to learn that if you're genuinely going to follow Jesus that your life is no longer your own. You come to a place where you say, "God, I'm yours. And what do you want me to do?" There's another verse continuing in Luke 14:33 and it says this is a message version. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and I love how he phrases it, and kiss it goodbye, you cannot be my disciple. So today I want to ask you this question again. What is your sword? What is the one thing in your life that you have said for years, God, you can have all of me, you just can't have this part? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a a secret habit. Whatever your sword is, is the very thing that is holding you back from experiencing the change that you long for the change that we all crave, true change is going to cost you something. Something. So if I could leave you with anything this morning, within this series, if we genuinely want change, I want you to have this visual. When you're getting baptized and when you're giving your life to God, what is the one thing that you're holding out of the water? And listen, we can laugh at that example and say, man, those knights, what, what that's so ridiculous. Baptizing their armor and then sticking their swords out, that sounds so dumb. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. God, we, we even pray the prayers. Maybe we don't do it like out loud, but we do it subconsciously. God, I want to follow you. And then God says, He puts His finger on one certain issue in your life. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that part's mine, God. This piece is mine. I don't want you dealing with that. And oftentimes, maybe it's something, it's an insecurity, it's a fear, it's a doubt. It's something that we've been hurt badly by. The reason I read the scripture at the very beginning about the leper is because I think it has a lot to do with the sword. The one thing that you've been holding on to, the one thing that has been keeping you back from genuine change, you say, man, I could just lose so much if I give up that sword, I could just lose so much rapport with people. I could lose so much. Pro- I could lose everything. I'll be embarrassed. I'll be shamed, whatever it may be. But you also come, we also read that verse where that leper says, God, if you want to change me, and he says to us today, Do I want to change you? Of course I do. Of course I want to heal you. Of course I want to extend grace to you. So whatever your shame, whatever you're dealing with, I read it in prayer a few days ago. There's a verse in James chapter four. And it's it's a very popular verse. We've read it a thousand times. But listen, it literally says, God desires to give us mercy over judgment. So I want you to know this today. If we're willing to count the cost rather than God saying, I'm gonna give you the judgment that you deserve, I extend grace to you. Further on in the verse, it actually says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So if you humbly come today and say, God, man, I want to lay down that sword. I want to give you everything. He extends grace and mercy to you. He doesn't extend judgment. He doesn't come like a God who's angry with this anvil and just wants to bop you on the head and say, I can't believe that you've been living this life. That's the thing I love about Jesus. Like we deserve so much wrath, so much judgment. But he says, man, you lay down that sword and the only thing that I offer you is grace. The only thing that I give to you is mercy today.